Friend, please help Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry by supporting the cost to produce Spirit-Filled Radio and Podcast for this current fiscal year. You can become a partner with Spirit-Filled Hearts by donating monthly. Your contributions make a difference in the lives of all those who listen to our radio shows and podcasts. Thank you for your support. Go to spiritfilledhearts.org and click on the donate button. That's spiritfilledhearts.org. Welcome to the beauty of our Catholic heritage. Our host is Father Jacob Shea, a Norbertine father of St. Michael's Abbey in Orange County, California. Father Shea has a great love for our church's heritage. The beauty of our Catholic heritage with Father Jacob Shea. Welcome back to the beauty of our Catholic heritage here with Father Jacob Shea on Spirit-Filled Radio. Let's begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Saint Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last time we spoke about the most blessed Trinity and how God loves us so much that He reveals to us His interior life and that He wants us to share in His interior life. That's what heaven is going to be about. To see God face to face, and that is to see the Blessed Trinity face to face. Now, in this talk, we will discuss what it means to grow in a personal relationship with the Blessed Trinity, and how to grow in a deeper personal relationship with the Trinity. First of all, I want to talk about this way of speaking, namely, growing in a deeper relationship with the Blessed Trinity. Really, this is a kind of Protestant way of speaking. When we say, I want to grow in a deeper personal relationship with Jesus. Anytime we hear this, we think of, are you saved by your personal Lord and Savior? Or do you believe in your personal Lord and Savior? You know, here are some kind of Protestant formulations. And really to have a personal relationship with Jesus is not bad. This is okay, obviously. But there is something hidden in this phraseology, and it can be abused, where we can have an overemphasis on what it means to be personal, and everything begins to focus too much on the person. And there is an overemphasis on my personal, personal, personal relationship with Jesus. And you can see how this overemphasis leads to difficulties. For example, for the Protestants, they will say, oh, I don't need confession. I don't need confession because I just go in my room. I close the door and I tell my sins to Jesus and he directly hears me, which of course is true, but Jesus also gave us confession and we need confession. So we cannot overemphasize this kind of personalism lest we destroy confession because then they say, I just confess my sins to Jesus by myself and that's all, that's all that I need. I don't need to go to a priest. But we know from sacred scripture that, I, that our Lord says, whose sins you forgive are forgiven. 
and then whose sins you bind are bound, right? And so here he gives this power to forgive sins or bind them to the apostles and to priests. And so we know that confession is necessary for our salvation because if we commit a mortal sin, we need to go to confession so we can get that mortal sin off of us and get the life of God in us again. That is to be in a state of sanctifying grace again. So we need confession. We can't just say, oh, I'm going to go in my room. I'll just tell God my sins. I don't need to go to confession. So this is very important to remember that we cannot overemphasize this kind of personal relationship, saying like, oh, I'm such a good friend with Jesus. I have an awesome personal relationship with him that I don't need any more confession or, you know, I don't need to go to mass on Sundays. I have this awesome personal relationship with Jesus. You know, I don't need to go to mass on Sunday because I just pray to him in my room by myself in my car. You know, I feel most comfortable with Jesus in nature. I don't need to go to mass. I just have a personal relationship with him. And so here we want to stick with the traditional vocabulary of Holy Mother Church. This is a really important discussion where here we cannot let the world hijack our Catholic vocabulary, our Catholic way of speaking. So really in bygone ages, you know, St. Thomas would not have said, I want to grow in a deeper relationship with my personal Lord and Savior Jesus, right? He doesn't say something like this. Instead, all the saints, they say something like, we must increase in the virtue of charity, or we must increase our devotion, or we must practice greater devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. We must practice the virtues. We must practice the moral virtues. We must practice the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. Here, we see that this is the traditional vocabulary that we should stick to. And then especially when you look at spiritual theology, that is how to pray and advance in prayer, we see all of the great mystics, for example, St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila, they describe prayer as conversation with God. They speak of prayer as an ascent of the mind to God. This is St. John Damascene. St. Teresa of Avila says, a conversation with God as with a friend. And so St. John Damascene, really amazing doctor of the church, says prayer is an ascent of the mind to God. Now, this is a beautiful, beautiful formulation. Or in describing the seventh mansion or the highest levels of prayer, we are in intimate union with God, or we have what is called the prayer of union. And so here we see that these are the traditional vocabulary words that we have to keep and that we have to know. And so how do you say, I want to grow in a deeper relationship with God, right, in the traditional way of saying it? I want to increase charity. I want to develop my prayer life. I want to increase in the theological virtue of charity. That's how we speak. So here, this is very important as a little preface on how to grow in greater devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary. This is the way that we should speak about it. Every time we say the other way, it sounds too Protestant. I hope you understand what I'm saying in that. And so here, again, we stick to the traditional Catholic vocabulary. And so the question is, how do we grow in prayer. And then especially, not only in prayer, we're going to use the Catholic terminology. So how do we grow in mental 
prayer. So we have forgotten what this word means. Usually we just talk about prayer, 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 right? But, for example, St. Francis de Sales, and you have the great tradition of St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross, they say we must develop mental prayer. We must practice mental prayer. Prayer is an art. It is a sacred art where you have to practice, just like the art of piano playing. You've got to practice piano, okay? And so here, as with anything, we have to practice. Practice makes perfect. And even more, right, even than practicing swimming, practicing piano, practicing singing, practicing any sport, or, you know, practicing our social skills, or whatever it is you want to say, right? Even more than all of these put together and combined, right, we must practice the virtues of religion and especially practice mental prayer. So, here, what is mental prayer? If we are going to grow in divine charity, that is, in the theological virtue of love, then we must have deep mental prayer. Now, with St. Teresa of Avila, we learn all of the secrets of mental prayer, and she gave us this beautiful exposition of mental prayer in a lot of her works. Her most famous work, um, you probably know, is The Interior Castle. This is where she speaks about the seven mansions, or the seven castles. These are the seven levels of prayer. And so here we go to this great doctor of the church, right, St. Teresa of Avila, to teach us about prayer. And she tells us that divine grace, that is sanctifying grace, is like a beautiful crystal castle. And this crystal castle is so precious and so beautiful. And this is what divine grace is in us. That is sanctifying grace. Remember, we get sanctifying grace. It's called sanctifying grace because it makes us holy. Grace is a gift from God. That's why it's called grace. Okay, And then sanctifying means makes you sanctified or makes you holy. So sanctifying grace is the life of God in you. And so here, when you get baptized, you receive sanctifying grace. That is, the life of the Blessed Trinity goes into your entire soul, and you have the life of God that is a participation in the very triune life of God that is the participation in the life of the Blessed Trinity in your soul. This is absolutely amazing, right? That's why we've got to keep sanctifying grace. Do not commit a mortal sin, right? So that's why we've got to go to Mass on Sundays. That's why we must be pure. These are the usual things that people do not do. That is, they're not pure, and they also do not go to Mass on Sundays through their own fault. And this takes away sanctifying grace because these are going to be mortal sins. And so here, we must see that we have to keep this precious, precious, precious gift of sanctifying grace very safe and protected in us. Now, St. Teresa of Avila says that this beautiful interior castle, because it's inside of you, actually is one castle or one mansion inside of another. And so the more you progress in prayer, the deeper you go inside yourself and the deeper you understand what sanctifying grace is. So it's like a house within a house within a house within a house, seven levels of houses until you get to 
to the core, the center, the most beautiful diamond of sanctifying grace. Really, sanctifying grace is the whole thing, but you're kind of going to the highest level, which is the inmost level, the seventh level, and that's where you get to the heart of sanctifying grace. Or you can say where everything is revealed to you about sanctifying grace as much as we can know in this life. And so... The castle has a moat. Just like, you know, you've gone to Disneyland or something like that, the castle has water around it to protect it, right? Um, But here in this case, St. Teresa of Avila says, outside of the castle, there is a gross, yucky river, or like you could say body of water. There's a big, you know, moat around the castle, and it's filled with all these yucky lizards and, you know, every kind of, you know, gross frog and all these weird creatures and things like that. And so she says, this represents mortal sin. And so most people, they never even make it into the door of the interior castle because they don't even have sanctifying grace. They're just stuck in the moat. They're just wallowing in this yucky, gross, brown and green water with all these like, you know, gross insects and lizards and everything in this water. Okay. So we got to get out of that water by going to confession and then we can enter into the first mansion so that we can get into the first level of prayer. And so here, basically, we won't go through all of the levels of prayer, but basically you're going to have three main stages in the interior life, okay? So first, you're going to have what's called the purgative way, or you can say the purgative stage. Purgative means cleaning. So just like purgatory cleans you up before you go to heaven completely, you have the purgative way on earth, right? So you want to do your purgatory on earth, basically. So the purgative way is actually the first three mansions in St. Teresa of Avila's seven mansions, okay, or the seven levels. So the first three levels are called the purgative way. You're trying to clean out the sins from inside of you. And so here you're keeping away from mortal sin. That's basically what you're trying to do in the first three levels or the first stage, the purgative stage, okay? And as you progress in the three levels, you're basically practicing mental prayer more and more, okay? So what is mental prayer? Mental prayer basically has four steps. The first step is recollection, where you're trying to concentrate. You're trying to be there with God, okay? I'm going to go into these stages of mental prayer more precisely in some of the next talks, but I'm just going to go through it in a summary fashion so you can kind of see what you're supposed to do. So you want to recollect. You want to make sure you offer up all your distractions about work, about family, whatever it is, sufferings. You just want to give it all to Jesus so you can pay 100,000% to Jesus Okay, And so that's recollection. You're concentrating. Then sometimes that takes five minutes, 10 minutes. It could take 20 minutes to be honest. Sometimes we are so distracted, it takes us a long time. It could take an hour. So for example, it could take one hour of recollection to do it well. And then you can start your mental prayer afterwards just because you know, we're so distracted. But, you know, because we don't have that much time during the day, etc., to do three hours of prayer because we have to work. So we have to make sure that when we do recollect that it is, you know, good and solid and we really are 
making sure that we use our time in prayer well. So we're not just daydreaming about whatever, but we're really trying to focus. So we really try to focus. Recollection should happen, if you can, maybe in five minutes, maybe in ten minutes. Okay? So then after that, you begin meditation. Meditation is where you are using your reason. You're using your mind in order to ask questions and to think about a certain mystery. So for mental prayer, you want to think about a mystery, for example, like the crucifixion. So you're going to think about Jesus on the cross. And so here, you're going to meditate on the crucifixion. You're going to say, what was it like for Jesus to be on the cross? What was it like for him to look at his mother, Mary? What was it like for him to spread his arms out? What was it like for him, you know, to have all the blood come out of his body? What was it like for St. John to be there? You know, how much does God love me in order to die for me? You're thinking of all these things. You're thinking a lot of thoughts in your head but they're all focused on the mystery that you chose. So for mental prayer, you want to make sure that you are choosing a certain theme that you're going to meditate on beforehand. So before you go into mental prayer, you want to say, I'm going to meditate on the cross. I'm going to meditate on the assumption. You know, you can easily choose a theme. Uh, you're free to choose whatever one. But if you don't know, you can just choose the mysteries of the day for the rosary or something like that. So meditation here, now you're feeding your mind and your imagination, everything of you, but of course the most important part is your mind and your heart with this meditation, right? How much God loves me, how much he poured out his blood for me, etc. What was it like for him to look on his mother as her mother, as his mother was suffering there at the foot of the cross? All of those things are your meditation. You're using your mind in what's called the discursive reasoning. Discursive reasoning means that your mind is kind of going around the mystery and looking at it from every angle. Okay, So for example, if you're looking at a statue at a museum, you're kind of going around the statue, looking at it from every angle, studying it, looking at it from every angle, seeing how the light goes on it. That's like meditation. Your mind is actively kind of moving around and asking questions and finding out answers to these questions. Okay, Then we go to the next stage of contemplation. Contemplation is where you then stop circling around the statue and you stand still and you just take in the whole statue and you're just loving how beautiful and how marvelous this statue is, right? So pretending like it's a statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary, right? You're done circling around the statue, seeing it from every angle that you can, and now you just look at it straight on. You look at the Blessed Virgin Mary statue straight on, you look at her face, and you just love the statue. So the same thing is in prayer. After you finish the meditation, right, thinking about the mystery, then you will just love God in the mystery. You will rest in the mystery. And you will try to do that as long as you can. So in other words, you just stay there. But sometimes you will get distracted. So then what do you do? You start circling around. You start meditating again, thinking about this, thinking about that. Then you try to contemplate, that is, stand still, 
love the mystery. Just say, Jesus, I love you. Your prayers become short and wordless. So meditation uses a lot of words, but contemplation is a loving gaze. It becomes eventually wordless. And so here, another way to describe it is like with a friend. First, you know, you see your friend. You're like, oh, hi, how's it going, right? Now you're kind of getting recollected. You're going to be in your friend's presence. Then you start saying, oh, what did you do today? This is what I did today. You start talking. You're loving to be with your friend. You're meditating on his life, etc., or her life. And you're saying, oh, I did this, I did this. So you're kind of meditating. Then you're like, oh, let's go for a hike. And so then you go for a hike and then you go on top of the mountain and you're like, oh, let's watch the sunset together. And then at that time, you're both just silent. And then you enjoy the silence together. And it's not an awkward silence, but it's a silence which is filled with love for your friend. Or you can say for your wife or for your husband or whatever it is, right? And so here you're just enjoying the presence of your friend. You're enjoying the presence of your spouse. And now you take it to the next level with prayer. You do the same thing on steroids, right? Infinitely more with God. And so you recollect, you meditate, then you contemplate. Contemplate means rest, rest, rest. Gaze, gaze, right? You're not using your mind anymore. Well, you are really, but you're not using your mind discursively, right? You're not asking all these questions and getting these answers and looking for answers. You just want to be with your friend, love him, right? So St. John Vianney, it's a famous case of a peasant who was just in front of the tabernacle and he was just praying for many, 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 for a long time, right? And so um, the peasant said, when I pray, I just look at God and God looks at me, right? That's a very beautiful way. And of course, you know, not just looking, but obviously what that means, it's a loving look. It's a loving gaze. And we have to really learn how to contemplate. Contemplation is the heart of mental prayer. Then afterwards, after you finish the contemplation, okay, how do you know when you're finished? Because your time is almost up. So say that you're going to pray 15 minutes of mental prayer a day. This is a very good practice. You should start, maybe if you can, you try with 10. Okay, so you do like two minutes recollection. Then you can do, um, you know, two minutes of meditation, three minutes of meditation. Then the rest of the time until 10 minutes should be contemplation, right? And again, if you get distracted or, you know, suddenly you feel bored or dry, don't worry. Just meditate again. Go back to that question answer. What was it like? What was it like? And look at the mystery from every angle. Then when you're ready, you can rest again, right? You have to be so honest in mental prayer. You cannot cut corners. You must be honest before God and yourself too, okay? But obviously, mostly before God, okay? And so, you want to increase it from 10 minutes a day. Then you want to go to maybe, okay, I was going to say 20, but maybe 15. Okay, we're going to baby steps. So say that one week you did 10 minutes a day, okay? Then you can do 20 minutes a day. Then you can do 
Thirty minutes. Now, thirty minutes is good. I think that if you're in the world, you should try to do at least thirty minutes of mental prayer a day. If you can, make a holy hour. Okay, this would be. That's what the holy hour is supposed to be. It's for mental prayer. So there are many ways you can do、uh, mental prayer. You know, when you have a bigger chunk of time. But basically, you know, you're going to go through that process. So I told you recollection, meditation, and then contemplation. Finally, you will do a Resolution. That's the four steps. Remember, four steps. First one: recollection, meditation, contemplation is resting, gazing at God lovingly, a loving gaze, and then finally, you're going to have that resolution. That is, you want to promise God, I'm going to do something. A charitable act, a loving act, that is a fruit of my prayer. So you can say, I want to write a note, a loving note to my husband, a loving note to my spouse, right? To say thank you so much for being a great husband, or thank you so much for you know just taking the kids to school, right? And you can just do anything, right? Or you can smile, or you know anything, you know you can. Get some ice cream for your kids or whatever. You know, you can do whatever, and so just a very beautiful, kind act. Okay, or you can say, "I'm going to read ten minutes of scripture." You know, you can read a life of the saint to your kid. You know,、um, some loving action. Okay, towards God and neighbor. Okay. That's your resolution, the fruit of your prayer, and so that's the process of mental prayer, and you want to increase it. So Saint John of the Cross, okay, said that if you do mental prayer well, okay, in one month you will become a saint. Okay, that's very amazing. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean ten minutes a day. Okay, this is you know probably you know like if you're in the monastery, right?、Um, and you do mental prayer well for one month, so you know definitely more than an hour, probably. Okay, but you kind of get the gist of what he's saying. If you do mental prayer well, you will really allow God to act in your soul. You will really let Him be able to mold your soul after His Sacred Heart. This is what religious Practice. This is the heart of religious life. Of course, the mass is the heart of religious life. Yes, but apart from liturgical prayer, mental prayer, okay, is so key to advancing in perfection, to advancing in sanctity. Without mental prayer, the religious is lost. Without mental prayer, the priest is lost. Right, priests especially must do mental prayer. They should do one hour every, 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 every single day, and there is no excuse. No matter how busy we are, okay, as priests, we must put one hour at least a day. Okay, God will make time for us, but we must put one hour. Right. In other words, we make mental prayer the center of our day, apart from mass, of course, and we carve out that one hour, and everything around it is that. So, for example, we have as Norbertines,、uh, where I teach our house there, we have our holy hour from four forty-five to six o'clock. So it's like an hour and fifteen minutes, right? That is apart from mass, right? Really, the heart of my day. So I teach. I'm doing all these things, you know, house blessings, anointings, house, you know, visits, etc., counseling, you know, whatever appointments, you know, all these things that a priest does, right? My whole day, right? But my refuge and what gives me strength is, of course, first the mass, but then my deep. 
silent mental prayer before God. That's where God feeds my soul. That's where I can really purify um, all my intentions and really see, you know, what is God's will in this deep silence. And so in this world, we really need silent mental prayer, right? Everything in the world stops. We are there with God alone. That's why mental prayer is super important. So this is our introduction to mental prayer. And the next talks, we will have a deeper meditation on the parts of mental prayer and the importance of mental prayer. God bless so much. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to The Beauty of Our Catholic Heritage with Father Jacob Shea. If this program has been a blessing to you, please encourage others to listen as well. For more information, visit spiritfilledhearts.org. That's spiritfilledhearts.org. May God be with you this day and always. It's the feeling you get when you see a familiar face in a crowd of strangers. It's the way the embrace of a loved one feels after a hard day. That feeling is comfort. And it's what we provide to families who turn to O'Connor Mortuary in their moment of need. More than just providing quality funeral service, we provide the necessary guidance and support to help Catholic families and people of all faiths and cultures process grief and heal their hearts. We are here to help every step of the way. For compassionate comforts in a time of loss, call O'Connor Mortuary in Laguna Hills. You can reach us at 949-581-4300. That's 949-581-4300. O'Connor Mortuary is a sponsor partner of Spirit-Filled Radio. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please consider supporting Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry with a one-time or monthly gift. Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We are only funded by generous donors who believe in our mission to evangelize.